ICO Gear has outfitted over 10,000 bow hunters across the country, and we're continuing to raise the bar when it comes to bow hunting camo. New for the 23 season, we introduce our never-before-seen panel fabric system designed to be dead quiet along with our patent-pending bow hunting collar, ICO Gear. Features and function built for bow hunters by bow hunters. Learn more at asiogear.com. Welcome to Bear Bow Hunter Podcast with your host, Nate Bailey, where we look to the ancient paths of our hunting ancestors to guide our future, where woodsmanship and hard work outweigh advanced shooting devices, where we value those who have gone before us and welcome those who are yet to come. Join us as we exchange valuable insight about the Bear Bow Hunter's lifestyle. Hey guys, if you get anything out of these uh, podcasts, you could help support us by going over to our websites, the Life Outdoors, that's with a Z at the end, dot com, and barebowhunter.com. On them, we provide some merchandise. Uh, we have shirts, hats, and mugs, and things like that. And we also are bringing on a new soap called Backcountry Bar. It is completely uh, biodegradable. And it is, it's a really good soap. If you like, you know, some of the newer soaps that are out there, um, this is kind of hunter-oriented soap, and, and it, it, you'll love it. It's got a burr scent, and uh, it lathers really well. And again, it's biodegradable, all natural. There's even, even the coloring is spinach and charcoal, so they're even natural. So if you want to support us, go over, check it out, and uh, now let's get on with today's show. All right, welcome to another edition of Barebow Hunters Podcast, and today we have with us Clay Hayes, somebody that probably all you guys listening to this podcast know. How you doing, Clay? I'm doing good. How are you doing today, Nate? I'm doing pretty good. I just, uh, I've been trying to get you on here for a long time, but you're a busy guy. Yeah, yeah. It looks. Like, I was looking at your uh, your Facebook stuff though, um, earlier today. It looks like you're in the somewhere along the Gulf Coast earlier. Yeah, I was. I was down in Mississippi actually, down there doing some air guard stuff. I'm in the air guard as well. So. Yeah. Yeah, I missed. Yeah, that's. Uh, y- y- looks like you got to do some fishing. That's uh, that's cool. Yeah, that was one of the things I've always wanted to do was catch a, a redfish on my fly rod, and I've never done that before. And. I happened to meet a guy down there that was from Florida, and he's caught a lot of redfish fish on his fly rod. So he set out to make sure that I got one before I left. Nice. Were you uh, were you sight fishing? Um, yeah, we were in a way. Uh, we weren't quite sure what they were. There was a bunch yeah. of fish boiling up on top, and we knew they were chasing shrimp. But um, we caught quite a few flounders and things like that. So we just kept going after it, and yeah, it ended up being a. a uh, redfish which is pretty cool yeah that, that's awesome they're they put up a heck of a fight um but if you ever get a chance to to fish them when they're in the shallows like in you know six eight inches of water that is a blast where you can actually see them cruising and, and cast to them yeah he was telling me that that's how he usually does it. it it was just one of those fluke things that we we were having a hard time finding them you know with the hurricane and blowing all that fresh water out and then you know, it just started coming back salt in the bay there. So it was, it was a little tough. <laughs> yeah. Well, good. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, that was a good time. I missed elk season, which was really hard on me this year. Um, yeah, I, uh, yeah, I, I, so I, I hunted this year, but I missed the last one because I was on the show. But yeah, that's the first elk season I've missed in a long time. And it was, I, I understand <laughs> it's a rough one to miss. Oh man. And you were, so you were not only missing elk season though, that you were missing, uh, a lot of other things at the same time. So I imagine that was even harder. Yeah. Yeah, it was absolutely. Yeah. So we, I got you for those of you who don't know, um, you guys need to run over and watch the, it's the last series, last year's series of alone, right? That you were on. Yeah. Season eight. Yeah. Season eight. And you guys need to run over there. I'm not going to give a whole lot away for the people that haven't seen it yet. And I imagine most of my listeners probably have, but, uh, I don't want to give it away, but you guys need to go watch it. It was good. It was a heck of a ride. <laughs> I bet. I couldn't even imagine. I, I tell, I keep telling my wife, I said, you know, I, I might be able to do that show if I could take you along. I think that's probably the hardest part is between that and the kids. Yeah, that was, you know, being away. I, I'm, I've spent a fair bit of time away, you know, from the family. Uh, I think the longest I ever been away, uh, you know, up until that time was a, a about 25 days or so. Um, you know, but you get to talk to them, right? You got to get a telephone, you can talk to them every night and, send pictures and stuff like that you know see what's going on but when you're out there there ain't you don't know what's going on got no no idea what's going on back at the house (laughs) right so right yeah yeah and they don't have any idea what's going on out there too so it takes a special family to be able to do that as well yeah it does It, it, it surely does yeah well i got you on here today i wanted to talk a little bit about you know i've followed what you've done for well it seems like forever now but um, I want to talk to you. What got you started into traditional bow hunting? And and you know you mostly do all self bows now, right? Yeah, um, I, I mean I I shoot a I shoot a glass bow every now and then, but mainly just picking up somebody else's and just seeing how it shoots. Most I mean all the hunting and stuff that I do is with um, the bows that I make, the self bows. Right, right, and you've so as you've uh, started in traditional bow hunting, did you start just by making self bows or did you start with like a, a glass bow or did you start with compounds? It's interesting. A lot of people, you know, I, I started with an old recurve that I bought at a secondhand store and then went to a compound and came back to it. It's interesting. I, I like to hear what, what people's, yeah. you know, path was. Yeah. So, um, you know, I, when I first got started, I, I had a old Ben Pearson recurve that my brother had found at a yard sale. And so that, that kind of got me into it. Um, you know, but at that time there was nobody, I didn't know anybody that shot recurve. I didn't know anybody that hunted big game with recurves. Um, and so I started, when I started hunting deer, I went and got a compound cause that, you know, I didn't even know, I didn't know that you could kill a deer with a, with a recurve. Right. You know, it was, right. There was just no information on it. Um, so I went and got a compound, hunted whitetails with a compound for a couple of years, and then uh, finally found that uh, that traditional bowyer's Bible. Right. And I'd always been interested in making bows. I just didn't know, you know, I had attempted to, never never had anything or never made anything that was worth um, hunting with. But I, I finally found that and started making bows that were a, a, a decent quality and uh, and started hunting with those. And then, I mean, I've... I've done that ever since. And I think that was probably around 99. Um, when I first started making those things, I've been hunting with them ever since. Yeah, that's cool. I, 
I've made a few bows myself and use, you know, I have all the traditional bow hunter Bibles and then Jim Ham's, I think it was his, uh, North American Indian bows. Is that, is that correct? Anyhow, I, I don't know. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Bows in North America or something like that. Uh, yeah. I think, I think that, and I started making some of those bows, but I found out real quick that you can either make a fast bow or one that lasts for a while and to make both is really hard. <laughs> Yeah, it takes a little bit of uh, it, it takes quite a bit of practice to to get get both those things dialed in. You gotta you gotta find that uh, that balance point. Right, right. Yeah, I should come out and actually go to one of your classes, and I could probably pick it up pretty quick. Being that I've broke a few bows and really nice staves. I've I went to the, back when we had the traditional bow hunters expo there in Ontario. I used to go there and pick up a stave or two, and, and then I've ruined a few. <laughs> So. Well, that just goes, that's, that's part of learning. You gotta, you know, you gotta screw up a few if you're gonna, uh, really more than a few, if you're gonna really learn it. I yeah. don't know how many bows I've broken over the years, but it's a substantial number. <laughs> we, we do have around us, I live here in Butte Falls and just up from us in the higher ground, we have a lot of yew wood and they yeah. allow you to cut it, you know? So that's something that I am going to do down the road right now. It seems like I'm so busy that I'm, I'm just trying to just being able to hunt's good enough. <laughs> Yeah, well, when you're, you know, if you're out hunting and you come across a good tree, you ought to GPS them uh, and at least go back and, and harvest a couple and get them split and drying because, you know, it takes a couple of years for those things to season and cure out. Yeah, you know, I, I have a friend, he's passed now, but he made a lot of bows and that's exactly what he did. And back in the day when we used to hunt together, he, he wouldn't GPS them, but he'd mark them on his map. He'd actually take his asthmus and take three points and Put it yep. right on his map. So I know where a few of his old trees are that he never got to. But uh, we have a lot of really big trees. And I, I need to go back through and kind of look at you and see what, what you would actually, you know, look at for a yew tree. Yeah, I don't um, – yew is pretty – you know how gnarly that stuff is. And Osage is the same way. It's just you got to look through a bunch of trees to find one that's worth cutting. Um, but, you know – you look through enough of them, you can find a few that'll, that that's worth it. And somewhere you can actually get them out. I mean, I've, I've found lots of trees out in the woods that are good, but you know, it's like two miles from the road, and there's no way you're going to carry a, a U log out that far. Right. really dedicated. Right. Unless you split it right there. You know, I, I've, I know people that do that. They'll take their stuff in and split it right there and then carry the staves out and then paint them at, at the pickup. But yeah, pretty Pretty cool stuff. I I just don't have the time at the moment, but I should. I should put some down, and you know I got a place to store them. I should do that. Yeah. What? So what's your favorite bow wood? I like Osage just because it's. I mean, it's a great bow wood. It's it's very readily accessible. But I mean, people ask. You know, that's one of the most common questions I get from new, you know, people that are just getting into bow building is where can I get an Osage stave? Um, and I always tell people, it's like, you know, you can, if you have access to Osage or Pacific U or, you know, whatever, any of the top tier bow was like that. If you have access to that stuff, then great, go cut, you know, go cut it and get it curing. Um, but if you're just starting into bow building, uh, I, I would recommend you use just whatever you have, you know, right. at hand. Um, because, to buy an Osage stave, I mean, you're talking about a hundred bucks plus and you know, you're, you're, you're going to be learning on that hundred dollar stave. And so you need to learn like in the Eastern U S I mean, there's all kinds of woods that are, 
available. There's there's all there's several different species of elms. There's different species of hickories. Um, probably the first two dozen bows I ever made were out of common persimmon, which is a a, a tree that's down here in the south. Um, hard maple. I mean, there's all sorts of different stuff that you could use. And if even if you don't even have a access to any of that stuff, you go to Home Depot and get a maple or a red oak board and and start on that. So you know you, you need to you need something that you can you can not feel too bad about messing up you know because it's like we were talking about earlier you you need to make mistakes to learn right right yeah you know and down here i I mean you know in our neck of the woods um i live right on top of the cascades so i could go on either direction so you know you got vine maple on the west and then you could go over and get into juniper on the east and and you know i think everybody in the western united states anyhow has probably got access to juniper um, yeah, juniper, if you can find one that's, you know, if you can find a, a piece that's straight enough, um, will actually make a, a good bow. It's, it needs to be backed with something. Um, bamboo, you know, you can make it like a composite bow, bamboo backing, or you can throw rawhide or sinew or something like that on there. Um, but it'll make a, a, a good bow. And it's, you know, in the east, you'd have eastern red cedar. In the west, you'd have common juniper, Rocky Mountain juniper. It's all pretty similar stuff huh yeah i didn't i didn't know anything about the red cedar i've heard of red cedar bows but i was just thinking like red cedar like on the coast <laughs> no no it's a, it's it's actually it's juniperus virginiana it's a it's a it's not a cedar at all it's just what they call it huh so you, um with a juniper bow you can't use like the sapwood on the back to to use it as a backing it, it actually has to have a backing yeah, it's the yeah, like you can incorporate the sapwood into the bow, but and I have seen I, I won't say that you can't make a juniper unbacked juniper self bow because you, you can, it's just very risky to do that. Gotcha. Um, I have seen a few, but <laughs> juniper is volatile, like it will it'll blow up like no other bow that <laughs> I've ever seen. Oh, really? It'll, it'll literally explode. Yeah, they're. In my neck, you know, I grew up in Chiloquin, which is a, just on the eastern edge of the Cascades and here in Oregon. And most, and I grew up on an Indian reservation, and most of the Klamaths and the Modocs, they all used juniper. A lot of them use you as well, but they would always back them with, you know, like a fish skin or something like that. And I always yeah. wondered why. Yeah, if, you got, if you got, you know, some kind of, kind of sturgeon skin or or you know, maybe even a heavy salmon skin or steelhead or something like that might work. I've never tried that, but probably be kind of cool. Yeah. They were, they were using, we have a sucker that goes up and down the rivers and they use that sucker, sucker fish. And I I think they did it a lot like a sinew skin where they would grind it up and then, and then put it in with a glue. So, okay. Yeah. There's a few of those around, you know, in in the museums and I look at them and I think, man, (laughs) if only I knew what those guys could do. (laughs) Yeah, they were. There's a lot of those lost that lot lost information, lost skills. Yeah, yeah. So, um, how many different types of classes do you offer then? And are you still doing those, or are you are you looking at the next year doing them? Or, well, we have gotten our um, we got a long waiting list of folks that want to <laughs> take classes, um, and we decided to take a break on them this year. So, so this fall and next spring we're not going to do them uh we may end up starting them back that next fall but that remains to be seen i've been thinking about doing other other stuff um 
like just general, you know, basic woodsmanship type stuff, uh, just how to be in the woods. Um, maybe talking a little bit about stalking and still hunting, uh, plan ID, basic survival type stuff. But I don't know that we, we haven't got anything worked out or, or started offering anything like that, but it's, it's something I've been thinking about. Yeah, that would be something I think that people could really use. You know, that's one of the big things that we try to do here is help people kind of get out and get get away from all the other stuff that's going on in the world. And I think they, I think it's good for all of us to do that. And the fact that you're looking at maybe helping people get into that, because I know it's a huge jump to, I mean, just even to go overnight for a lot of people is a huge jump to go in the woods. Yeah, and that's, it, it's something that I guess, you know, me I, it's just something I've done my whole life. So it's easy to take that stuff for granted. But, yeah. um, there was a couple of years back, um, I had a fella from California come out and he just wanted to come out and do a hunt and, and just carry the camera. Um, and so I, you know, he came out and he was, he'd never really never done any, he, he grew, was born in the city, grew up in the city, uh, didn't really have any outdoor experience. Um, but just to see, like for him, it was like splitting wood was a big thing. Like he really wanted to do that cause he never had a chance to do it before. And, um, you know, gutting animals and just being, doing all that stuff, like all the stuff that I'd always taken for granted, it was like very new and exciting for him. So, you know, just to see that was kind of eye opening for me. Like there's a lot of people like that, you know, they just don't have that that background so there's definitely a lot of stuff you could cover out there yeah we uh we we are the same way here as we got several young men that have come to us and and said hey i want to go hunting with you guys and a lot of them we grew up around a youth group and a bunch of different people so a lot of people always knew i hunted and uh you'll see it this year gage took him my son took him out hunting and some it some of them was the first time of putting a backpack on yeah. You know, and, and they <laughs> first time hearing a bull elk in the woods and first time and I, I, we do, we take it really for granted. I've been doing this stuff since I was a kid. My kids all did it, you know, with me when they were kids. So f for a lot of people, um, it, it's a good thing to get them out there and get them experience in this stuff. And I think that's a, a great way. I think that's why actually the show alone has done so well is I think people are really gravitating towards that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's, uh, I think the other thing is it's, you get to see, you get in, uh, you get to see people's raw state on that show because it's, um, I mean, you film everything and they use whatever they want. They use whatever they think is, uh, going to be the most engaging for the audience. So sometimes you get some people breaking down, sharing some true emotion. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I think, I think quite honestly, I think a lot of people have looked at, um, some of the urban stuff that they've been in and, and looked at all of the, I don't know, the people that I grew up around a lot of times would call it the concrete jungle and stuff. They didn't like going there. They didn't even like going and getting groceries. So, um, when I think a lot of the, there's a lot of things within the city that people are trying to get away from. And I think, uh, that's why people look at shows like that and, and, uh, you know, a lot of different shows and, and want to get back to the skills. Cause if you look on YouTube, man, there, some of these channels where people are just, uh, showing people how to start a fire going nuts. And it's pretty cool to see actually. Yeah. There's, 
there's some of the some of the YouTube stuff that does really really well. I and this is um, nothing nothing against those channels, but it's just stuff that's like, you know, guy that goes out in the woods and just stays in the woods overnight, and he you know he throws up a tarp and he uh, and and they'll have millions of views, and I can't understand that because it's it's just like he literally goes out of the woods and camps not at night. Um, but I don't know. I, I people people eat that stuff up. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that tells a lot about where people are at, you know, and yeah. with, I think with everything that's going on, um, I, I know I do, I know that's where I gravitate to. I have to go to the woods, just like nothing against Mississippi or anything. I liked what I, you know, found down there and I was able to get out and do some things. But the first thing I did when I got back home is I had to get out in the woods. I had to go do something. Yeah. But, well, you gotta, I mean, it, it's the the southern woods are a lot different than what you've got out out west there. Yeah, yeah, you know, and I, I actually, it, it was a lot of private stuff, and I wasn't able to get to the public stuff. And the the public stuff that I could get to was all out in the you know out in the Gulf in the Bay, and that was pretty cool. All the islands and things like that. So being able to experience that's cool. It's just uh, I could see where people would be. Even the people fishing off the beaches and stuff, you can tell that they're like, man, I just wish I could get away from people and go fish. <laughs> yeah, there's, I, you know, I went to school there in Starkville um, in Mississippi, uh, Mississippi State. And I, we had our place, was, we had a national wildlife refuge in front and, and state land in the back. And we had really good hunting around our place, but like the, that opening week or so of, of rifle season, I wouldn't even go in the woods because it was so <laughs> many freaking people. Yeah, I right. mean, you could, you could, you could walk in the woods, and it's rifle season, and you can see orange vests <laughs> in trees. <laughs> like, I don't even want to go out there, man. Yeah, I know. We were we were talking about that this year. My son and I had a a, a rifle tag that wasn't really the best rifle tag in the world, but it was a point for us to get out and. We're, we saw three other people in there the whole time, and we're like, oh, my gosh, what in the world's going on? There's three other people in here. <laughs> and, you know, and that's for, shoot, I don't know, five, six square miles, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what I was complaining about. <laughs> well, um, so you guys got a, a season coming up. You guys still have a late bow season coming, do you, don't you? Yeah, we're, we're, so we're down here in Florida right now, but I'm going to fly back up. Um for our, our bow hunt or our whitetail hunt up there. Um, and then I'll be back down here. The, the, the rut's actually going on right now down here and down South. Um, so we're doing a little bit of whitetail hunting down here, doing some hog hunting. Uh, actually just today released a video where I went out with, uh, my wife and the boys and got a couple of alligators over there in Miss or uh, Louisiana. Oh, um, yeah. So we've got all sorts of, all sorts of fun stuff going on this fall and winter. Right on. And what's your YouTube channel's name again? Uh, just Google Clay Hayes. And Clay you'll Hayes. Find it. Yeah. I yeah. I, 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 uh, I follow it and I saw that that came up. I haven't seen it yet, but I saw that that came up. It was your boy that shot an alligator, wasn't it? Well, we were, uh, we were setting limb lines for them. And so they would, they, they would grab them and pull them in. Oh, that's cool. Uh, yeah, it was. Uh, we all had a good time. It's a fun little video. Got some good music on there. Good Cajun music. <laughs> I've been eating some good Cajun food down there. 
Oh yeah, we had uh, just had gumbo last night. I tell you what, I the shrimp was beyond compare. That shrimp cocktail that they have down there, oh my gosh. Yeah, well, you know, you get get the fresh stuff. You, the shrimp you get in uh, get out in Oregon, that's, that's stuff from Thailand. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and they have a way of cooking it or making it. I don't know if it was actually cooked. I think yeah. it was just marinated. <laughs> possibly <laughs> yep so have you are you going to do any whitetail hunting down there or is it all up up in idaho no we uh i i so uh, i guess last week i was in georgia uh and had my boys over there and we were whitetail hunting and hog hunting so there's a place over there that's got a, a pretty good hog population and also got um some fairly sizable deer and I saw a couple of good bucks, but I didn't get close enough to anything. Um, and damn near, I had a, had a, a bar hog, which is a, like a castrated boar. Sometimes they'll catch those pigs and cut them and then turn them loose. Right. And right. then they get fat. Um, but I had a bar hog that was probably 300 pounds. I mean, he was just a giant and, um, got up within probably six, seven yards of me. And I was waiting on him to clear a tree. And well, the, of course the wind swirled and they took off, but I didn't, that was as close to the guy on that last trip, but we've got, we've got more, more deer and hog hunting coming up. I really like to wait. Like I'll really start seriously hog hunting at, um, like around February ish after the deer season's in, because there's nobody else in the woods and the hogs kind of, um, calm down a little bit yeah yeah so you do quite a bit of hog hunting do, do you hog hunt all over the states or just just in certain places or uh i mean wherever there's opportunities i've got a couple of public land spots here in florida and then over in georgia uh, and then i've got some some friends with some private land that i uh, get invited to sometimes so i mean i've hunted all the way from north georgia all the way down to South Florida. So there's no telling where I'll be. Gotcha. Yeah. That's one thing we don't have in Oregon. And I don't think that we really want them. <laughs> It'd be kind of fun to hunt, but I, I hear that they're pretty destructive. Yeah, they are, but man, they are, they're a blast to hunt and, um, they taste really, really good. Yeah. Yeah. That's one thing I, I have friends that go down and they hunt, uh, Northern California on the hog ranches down there. And, and they do they they like the way that they taste yeah it, it reminds me they um the the like the behavior like you ever stalked bears yeah yep okay well it's, it's like stalking hogs is very very similar to that you know they got excellent noses um the eyesight's not super good and you know if they're out rummaging around and stuff their their hearing oftentimes is obscured so a lot of times you can walk right up on them you know especially if they're in a in a little group and they're making some noise um but they're uh, they're fun they're fun to still hunt huh yeah that's something i might have to try one of these days i do i do like to bear hunt um when there's a lot of bears around but yeah you know um i was going to ask you so what is your favorite animal to hunt is it hogs or well I know that's kind of cliche. Um, I ask everybody, but (laughs) yeah, I'm glad I don't have to make that choice. Um, (laughs) but if I had to, if, if I, if I could only hunt at least at this stage in my life, if I could only hunt one animal, 
I think it would have to be September elk. There's just nothing quite like that, you know. Yeah, I'm with you. Also, you know, we got the late blacktail season coming up, and it, it's fun and it's good, and I'm I'm going to enjoy it. I haven't killed a big blacktail with my bow yet, and uh, so I'm gonna. I've made it a a thing this year to actually sit in a tree long enough to do it. But uh, there's nothing like chasing elk. There's nothing like it. No, I mean when <clears throat> when you've got a you know 700 pound giant bull elk with rack that's you know three feet out on either side of his uh of his head and he's raking a tree and pissing all over himself and bugling <laughs> in your face at eight yards that's uh that's pretty intense yeah we had one last year we um we called to this group last year and it had a, a really big bull in it but what surprised me is it had like a three and a half year old bull that came running out of it the minute we started bugling and uh I I was just flabbergasted at how nonchalant this bull was about me making noise up there. He was, he, he, he didn't care. He was ready to fight anybody. If I was the biggest bull in the world, he was ready to fight. And I just love that, <laughs> that yeah. about the bulls, you know, and you never know which one's going to do that. So I've seen some really big ones, not, not really pay much attention to you. And then I've seen some three and a half year olds that just want to tear you up. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, we, we, uh, I love chasing the bulls, I, and I, we do both eastern and western Oregon. I never have done it on the coast. Um, I, I don't know. Uh, yeah, it's pretty hard for me to go to the coast when we got all this close by, you know. Yeah, yeah. We, um, it's the same for us. I mean, we, we people people ask me why I don't hunt elk in different states and and stuff like that. But I mean, we got such good hunting uh, where we hunt in Idaho that I don't feel like I need to go anywhere. I mean, I don't, most of the time I don't even put it in, put it in for any kind of controlled hunts because the over the counter stuff is so good. Yeah. Our stuff is, is a little spotty. Um, but I mean, if you're willing to put the work in, usually you'll get into them bow season. I, I rifle hunted them this year and I didn't see any, we only had three days. It was a three day tag. Mm. Um, and yeah, and I think the weather moved them out of where we're used to hunting and all that. But, um, Normally, you know, during bow season, we could we'll find them. We'll at least find them. But, um, yeah. So it's it's interesting to see all the things that are, that are going on with the elk hunting here in Oregon. I don't know if you've been keeping up with it, but they're changing a lot of that stuff around just because bow season is getting so um, popular. I guess. Well, part of the reason is is we have a couple units where the bows are actually killing more bulls than the rifles. So. They switched it up because of that. Well, yeah, I mean, it's the, what was, I think the 2014 Idaho elk management plan, there's a graph in there that shows the success rates by weapon type. And I think Idaho, I, I, I you know, I was a wildlife biologist for, I yeah. fishing for, for fishing game for a lot of years. And um, when they were doing that, uh, that management plan, um, you know, I was compiling data from different states and i think idaho is the only one only state that i was familiar with that kept track of success rates by weapon type and maybe that i can't remember all the details but that may have been just the way the seasons were structured um but anyway the the success rates i think they started collecting data back in the 70s and this is public information anybody can go over there and look at that um 
but it, back in the 70s uh success rates for archery seasons was like seven percent or so both archery and muzzleloader was right around seven percent and uh rifle season was a rifle success rates were up around 20 percent or so and you know over the the decades uh up until currently the the success rates for rifles never really changed that much they were always kind of hovering around 20 percent um but both muzzleloader and archery there's a there's a a steady increase in success rates until now there's no difference you know between archery season and rifle season there's no difference in success rates which is to me kind of pretty telling yeah um but i mean it's hard to that that creates problems for wildlife managers because those archery seasons were developed you know they, they allowed you to hunt during a time of the year when elk are the most vulnerable right and they gave you very liberal seasons because the success rates were low well you know that doesn't really work anymore and so um you know you run into situations where you have to start cutting opportunities or looking at you know moving to controlled hunts where it was over the counter before um different ways to kind of back off on that success rate so you have some animals out there yeah you know i i hear a lot of different things from a lot of different sides about it um you know i don't know I know quite a few people in OHA and they were, they were big behind trying to figure out what, what the right course of action would be and how to, uh, you know, cause they have rifle hunters and bow hunters in their midst and trying to figure out how to approach it. And, you know, the rifle guys, it's all draw or it's all draw tags over there. So the rifle guys were the only ones really taking the hit. Yeah. Um, when, when they would have to adjust numbers, cause if you have a general season tag, well, say desolation unit, for instance, you know, um, they would just cut the rifle guys back and then there'd be twice as many bow guys over there. So it, it was a hard thing to deal with. I, I think they did the best that they could do. But uh, I think the, the underlying problem actually is that we're getting really good at killing elk. Uh, I think that's the underlying yeah. problem um, yeah. with, with bows. I mean, there's, that, there's definitely that, too. I mean, there's, you know, a lot like when people see that th those those graphs and the success rates ticking up over time that you know a lot of guys um will attribute it all to tech you know oh there's you know there's laser range finders there's compound bows they can shoot 100 yards um but you know that's not the whole story there's there's like people there's so much information now people can learn how to elk hunt in a fraction of the time and learn how to be effective you know, in a fraction of time right. that it used to take people. I mean, used to, it'd be, it'd take decades of being out there um, stomping around in the woods to, to accumulate that knowledge. And now it's just, there's so much good information out there that people can learn it pretty doggone quickly and, and be fairly effective. Yeah. We put out a, a series before elk season on our YouTube channel. We put out a series of how we elk hunt. And yeah. I got five guys that emailed me back after the season with pictures of bulls that they use some form or another of what I did. They added it to what they do. Yeah. Um, and, and, and then, so if you get a bunch of people doing that and I take some, something from this guy and he takes it from this guy and that information is so easy to travel. I think you're right in that. I think there's, <laughs> we are making it a little bit easier to kill an elk. Um, yeah. One of the funny things I, I see all the time is, you know, 
um, people always commenting on our videos. Well, I would have never guessed that you would just chase them like that. Well, <laughs> I thought you were supposed to call them to you, you know, and, and, uh, things like little things like that, that just will turn you into listening to them going away or getting in front of them one or the other. And I think, uh, maybe that's part of what's going on too. Yeah. Yeah. There's no, you know, you know, populations increase, you know, people that are getting to be more and more people and less and less ground to hunt elk on and technology's increasing and information's increasing. So it's, it's a very complex problem that there is no easy solution to. Yeah. So you know, wildlife managers have their work cut out for them. You know, and guys like me, I started hunting elk in the late nineties with a bow. And so back when I started it, nobody was doing it. I mean, very few. And so to go into 2021 or 2020 and see the lack of opportunities, because I used to just get a general tag and I go anywhere I wanted to in the state. Mm -hmm. You know, and then I have to understand that, um, you know, I, <laughs> I got to understand that things change, you know, and you should be happy that you actually still get to elk hunt and you could put in for a tag here in Oregon. You can hunt elk um, every year if you want in Oregon. And that's, that's a pretty good thing to have. Yeah. I, I, if I couldn't hunt every, if I couldn't hunt elk every year, I think I'd move somewhere. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I'm with you on that one. That that's that's something that we've always said too. Is you know, we, that's always made our decisions on what we're gonna do. <laughs> it's kind of funny. My wife, my wife probably thinks I'm crazy about it, but <laughs> so cool. Yeah. So September elk. I I'm with you on that one. I I uh, missed it this year, and I'm editing the footage of my son and and uh, his friends and it's it's fun to watch them go through and because there's a lot of stuff that when he hunted with me in the last few years um there's a lot of stuff that those guys just did to follow what i was doing and now they had to do it on their own and you can mm -hmm. see the frustration in them <laughs> it's pretty fun well they they uh had a good teacher <laughs> well i don't know <laughs> well, they they had they know how to have fun outside that's what that's what matters i guess yeah yeah so uh, I'll, I'm just going to do a 180 on you here. I got to talk a little bit while I got you on here. I got to talk a little bit about your pickup. Do you still have that with the Cummins in it? Yeah. Yeah, it's up in Idaho. Uh, we, we leave it up there. Um, and so I've got a little little Tacoma down here that I'm driving around right. in Florida. Right. For the You did a whole YouTube. Did, didn't you do a YouTube um, series on that pickup? I did a Instagram. So I did a I, I did remember. a YouTube video. I did a YouTube video that went over the fuel system in it, and I talked a little. Maybe I, I can't remember. It's been a long time ago, but I, I, <laughs> I talked a little bit about the the build, but I didn't. I, and I should have. Um, I should have videoed the actual build of that truck because it was a year long process, and I took. So basically I had a single cab, long wheel base, um, 91 Cummins, four wheel drive. Uh, and I went and bought, I found a 1980 crew cab power wagon. And I took both of those trucks and, and stripped them all the way down to the frame and then built the truck that I have now, which is basically, it's the 1980 frame and cab 
and everything else is from the 90 or the 91. So, you know, the powertrain, um, body panels, everything. Sorry about and, that. <laughs> <laughs> no worries. Um, and luckily they didn't, you know, the engineers or the designers didn't change anything really except for the body line. So all the panels and everything bolted right onto that 1980 cab. And so now it's like a one of a kind, um, you know, kind of a 91 slash 80 power wagon with a 12 valve Cummins that runs on French fry grease. Yeah, that's cool. That's cool. I, I watched you do that and I, I, by trade, I, I'm a I'm a diesel mechanic myself, and uh, when I saw you do that, I was pretty pretty interested in how you were going about that. And then, of course, with the vegetable oil, you know, with the biodiesel, basically is what it is. Um, I I wondered how it would work out for you up there in the cold. Well, it works great. I mean, I've had it. I, I've I've driven that thing in single digits, um, and it's 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 not really bio i mean it's straight grease it's straight vegetable i don't make i don't make biodiesel at all um you know the you can watch that video to see how the system's set up right. it's basically a it's a dual fuel system so i have a diesel side and then i have a, a side for vegetable oil and I, I basically heat the oil before it goes into the injector pump so it lowers the viscosity um but I start it up on diesel, bring it up to temperature, then I'll switch it over to vegetable oil. And then, oh, a couple minutes before I turn the truck off for the day, I'll uh, I'll switch back to diesel and kind of flush it out so it's ready to go the next time. Right on. Yeah, you don't get all that paraffin to stick in the injectors or anything overnight. Yeah, I've, you know, there's been a couple of times when I've um, forgot or didn't flush it out good enough. And it really, it doesn't, it'll start, but it doesn't want to <laughs> like it's running on two cylinders for a little bit. Before right. It gets going. Probably until everything starts warming up a little bit. Yeah. 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 So one last question I have for you while I got you on here is, um, where do you see uh, traditional bow hunting? I know this is kind of cliche. Um, and I think there's been a big uptick in it in the last couple of years. And, uh, what are what are the best things about the uptick in it, and what are some of the things that we need to kind of keep an eye on and and maybe talk about a little bit about the uptick? Well, there's definitely been an uptick, um, and uh, you know, folks like Aaron Snyder have helped bring some folks in, um, and then you have the old you know the standbys, the traditional bow hunter magazine, and right. uh, the PBS, and all the you know all the guys that have been around forever um and then but you have you have guys that get into it um kind of because it's the cool thing to do and a lot of times those guys don't stick you know they they it, it traditional archery is a lot of work you know, yeah. especially when you start talking about bow hunting um and so i don't know man it's it's uh I don't really, honestly, I don't really pay attention to it a whole lot. I just do my own thing and <laughs> right. put out my videos. And I, I hear from people all the time. You know, right. I hear from new people that are just getting into it. People that are watching the shooting stuff that I'm doing. Um, but I don't know. I mean, I'm just, I'm happy to help through the videos and, and happy to help people learn how to shoot. Um, help them have a good time. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think that's probably the biggest thing that I could 
that I could see going on in traditional bow hunting is when people, it's kind of like muzzleloaders too. It's, it's kind of one and the same when people pick them up and start having a good time shooting them. Um, and then, and then they start getting proficient at it. You know, when you start seeing somebody who didn't think they could even hit the target with a trad bow starting to hold nice groups, um, that's when it starts getting infectious for people when you start seeing that. And then I think you, I don't know, guys like you that keep going forward and then make your own bow and then make your own arrows and going that route. There's something really, really um, satisfying about that, you know? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's um, you know, there for a long time, like uh, aiming was just really frowned upon for, for some <laughs> some reason. Um, but I think, you know, that nowadays is, is becoming much, much more mainstream. I mean, you got the guys, uh, Tim and Matt over at the push, um, that, that put out some really good stuff. Uh, Joel Turner's, uh, uh, you know, putting out some really good stuff. And so there's a lot of, there's a lot of really good quality shooting information out there these days. Um, and, and an alternative to purely instinctive shooting, which is kind of the, what it always was there for a long time. And, you know, a lot of guys just don't, and I'm one of them, you know, you just, I, you know, instinctive shooting just wasn't for me. You know, it wasn't that I didn't, I never excelled at that. And so once I started, you know, actually aiming, I, I, I got a heck of a lot better and I could hold tight groups. Yeah. You know, and you see a lot of guys, uh, um, especially the guys that are shooting competition have some form of aiming that they're doing. So that tells you right there that aiming is something that, that is, uh, you know, and it's something I should probably put in my game plan, but man, I started, you know, during that time when everybody was like, well, and I think there was a lot of the only stuff out there to teach you how to shoot. A lot of it was instinctive from, you know, the early nineties all the way up to, you know, even shoot not very many years ago. There was always yeah. guys string walking and, and, you know, doing their point ons and stuff, but very few in the hunting world that were speaking about it. Mm-hmm. So I think there was that, that idea that that's what we had to do if we we're going to traditional bow hunt is it's instinctive. Yeah. And if you can, I mean, if you can shoot that way, then I mean, heck yeah, do it. Awesome. Um, but I'm, I'm just, I'm glad that there are, there's information out there now that gives people an alternative. You know? Yeah. Yep. Um, where it's that, that that just was never there before. Right. Yeah. And I kind of wish I would have, because you know, my shooting style is so I'm 50 now, so I've been doing it for a long time and I've got that muscle memory for that style of shooting. And I, I tried doing some gap shooting and things like that. And I'm so messed up over it that I, I always go back to instinctive because I don't want to even, the problem is I get old and I don't want to learn anything. <laughs> I want to just keep going yeah. what I'm doing. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's like anything, you know, if you, if you're going to try, if you're going to do it, you know, you've let, you've, what I always tell people is you can, if you want to shoot instinctively, unless you're just give, you know, unless you're good at that type of shooting, you'll reach some level of proficiency and it's hard to, it's hard to move beyond that. And so when you, you, you've already reached that level of proficiency. And then when you go back to, to try something different, you, you try, um, you know, gap shooting or, or whatever, you're going to suck for a while, yeah. you know, until you get that figured out. Um, and it's very easy to revert 
you know, back to whatever you were doing before because you know that you can you can get back up to that level that you were at before. Um, yeah. But, you know, if you if you stick with it, a lot of times you can surpass what you had done before and far surpass it. Yeah, that's I think that's the biggest stumbling block, you know, is is um I I see the I see the reason to go, especially to gap, especially now that I'm shooting some heavier arrows and you know, I am limited to 25 yards. I, I just, after 25 yards, my shot, my shot really falls apart to the point. I don't yeah. want to shoot an animal at that. Um, but it would be nice to shoot to 35 yards, you know, and that gap is, is probably the thing, way to do it. But yeah, and it's, it, I don't sh- like, you know, I talk about gap shooting, but I really don't, I'm not a gap shooter. Um, not, 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 in the pure sense anyway, like I shoot with, it's a really a combination of instinctive and gap. Like I, I use, um, I use my point as a reference, but the, the gaps I've shoot, I've shot so much that I just, it's just a sight picture for gotcha. me. You know, it's not, I'm not saying, okay, at, at 15 yards, I'm, I have a 10 inch gap, right. you know, right. I just, I just know what it looks like at, at 15 yards. Right. Yeah. Cause you've been doing that for so long. Yeah. 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 You know, that's the thing too, is I, I'm not ever going to be able to hold up with say Aaron out at 40 yards. There's no way I I see his shooting and, and he's got that down. And then he talks about anything under 40 yards is, is harder on him. And it's like, what, how's that work? But uh, he's, he's just a freak. I know he, he's a freak. Joel Turner's a freak. Those guys are, they're, they're beyond anything that I do. So (laughs) I just, I just try to get a little bit closer if I have to. That's that's my biggest game. Yeah. <laughs> well, cool. Well, thanks for coming on here, Clay. I really appreciate you coming on, and uh, it's cool that you're running around down south there. If I would have known that earlier, I would have probably called you and said, hey, are you going to be up Mississippi way? <laughs> yeah, yeah, we could have hooked up. Yeah, yeah, go out and maybe catch a redfish or two. Yeah. But uh, thanks for coming on, and uh, uh, we'll have to get you on here again. All right, man. We'll see you next time. All right. Well, thanks a bunch. All right. Thanks for joining us for another installment of the Barebow Hunter podcast. Remember, we couldn't even be talking about this stuff if it wasn't for our public land. So go and support the people that are protecting it, backcountry hunters and anglers and TRCP. Also, if you'd like to see more of Barebow Hunters, go to our Facebook group, Go to our Instagram at Barebow Hunters, like us, and hashtag all of your photos with your Barebow goodness in them. Barebow Hunter. We have a website as well. You can go over there, check out the rest of the podcast. We have videos, we have t-shirts and hats. Thanks again. Until then, shoot straight.